Hello and welcome back to the Create Me podcast. This is going to be a really kind of strange one because I'm recording from my dining room table at the moment in my home, obviously. Um, kind of a bit nervous actually. I've not recorded anything since March and that was episode 86 before the whole pandemic craziness kind of kicked in. So yeah, how are you guys doing? I hope you're well. I hope you're all keeping safe and well, you know, with your loved ones, you know, with your friends and, you know, your family. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of months um, for me and for, I guess for all of us. So I kind of want to speak on a few things, um, but I hope you are all keeping safe and well. So yeah, COVID-19, coronavirus, um, it's been crazy, man. Um, I remember... Um, during the, you know, my last kind of conversation and thinking that I had something already kind of booked for the following week and then that got cancelled even before the whole kind of pandemic kind of um or the like restrictions kind of um set in but it was kind of like you know we're going about our everyday lives and kind of seeing this stuff on the news or where it's kind of like spreading in Europe you know and like remember the kind of concern I was having about you know seeing the rapid kind of death rates happening in Italy and Spain and you know and what's kind of transpired from that is like now like you know I think the UK has surpassed the death rate um, of like Italy and Spain and other European countries which is sad um, yeah it was kind of like a, a new adjustment you know in terms of like you know people kind of like yeah people <laughs> going crazy and buying what are people buying again loads of toilet paper that's, that's kind of like a head scratch of that one, and why people are buying loads of toilet paper. I'm sure there'll be scientific research about that. Um, so yeah, it was a toilet paper, pasta. Yeah, dry pasta was just getting hoarded, like, and um, toilet paper, that was just kind of bizarre. And obviously, like, the kind of things like paracetamol as well, and, like, you know, anti back wipes. So it's kind of like, you know... It was, it's almost kind of like you're going into kind of like, you know, uh, apocalyptic kind of, you know, um, era then, you know, and things are kind of like, obviously, the whole online shopping thing, you know, still a bit, you know, difficult to kind of get things, but it seems to kind of like settle down a little bit. I do apologise now if you hear a lot of um, birds kind of tweeting in my area um, where I live, because my back garden is like um, a big kind of like field in the back, so lots of birds and squirrels having fun so it's just like you know back to the old school the way that I used to record the intros and outros of the podcast always kind of mindful of the birds singing in the back garden but it's all good so yeah the pandemic man that was like a real kind of like struggle and adjustment I know for me and you know my wife and you know lots of things kind of changed you know this is the whole pandemic thing kicked off when my wife was due to go back to work um in like April time, no, it was like, yeah, early April, yeah, she went back to work. Um, our daughter was due to start a nursery, you know, that's a big thing for us. We're both nervous about this as well, but her nursery that she was due to go temporarily still closed just because of the pandemic as well. Um, so, you know, me, I had to kind of like, you know, start working from home three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whilst also looking after my daughter and going into the building where I work um, Thursday and Fridays. Um, and then it kind of worked out kind of well because we started doing skeleton staffing within my job. You know, some people who don't know, um, I'm a social worker. So I've been a social worker since 2012. And I work with like more than the children and families, but working with a very specific team, um, working with young people who struggle with mainstream education and other kind of um, issues as well. So yeah, that was kind of like interesting, a new way of kind of working. So it's definitely kind of like, you know, for us, we um, were kind of like, you know, thinking outside the box and kind of trying to meet the needs of our families, you know, picking up, you know, medical um, um, subscriptions um, for families, dropping off food parcels and stuff, you know, going back to the kind of basics of what social work is all about. So, you know, that was kind of interesting. But oh, that's my tummy rumbling. Jeez, I hope that that probably come on, to, you know, this recording. So yeah, like you know, the whole kind of COVID situation, you know, is kind of all kicking off. And like I said before, it was a major adjustment. And this is the kind of thing I will tell you guys that um, I caught COVID. Um, you know. I kind of, yeah, I'll delve into the whole kind of story of how that all happened. So my wife, um, who's an advanced nurse practitioner, I won't mention the hospital that she works at. Um, 
she within like three weeks of her going back to work part time, um, she caught the coronavirus. Um, I think it was like on, um, and it kind of manifested on like the twenty fourth or twenty fifth of April. Can't remember. Then I subsequently caught the virus from her. You know, living the same <laughs> home together, share a bed. So it was going to happen. And I remember that weekend when my wife was kind of like having all those symptoms that, you know, the NHS is saying to be mindful of. And, you know, she managed to kind of take herself. I don't know how she managed to do this. You know, she went to, she took herself to go and get tested at the hospital, booked an appointment. She got tested. Results came back Monday positive. And I remember like she was ill before that, before, um, a few weeks before. Um, actually getting the coronavirus diagnosis, like, you know, saying, yeah, you do have it, getting a positive test. And she said that, you know, after all this kind of, you know, her having the virus saying like, actually her being ill from like a sickness bug a few weeks prior was actually worse than actually for her having the coronavirus. So, yeah. So, you know, wife got the positive diagnosis after her test on the weekend, on the Monday. I remember me having to call work and say, look, can't come in. You know, I'm not feeling good as well. So it's more or less like I have it. And my work were trying to book me a test as well. But I don't think like they, I think there's some option for somebody from the hospital to come and test me at home. But it never kind of happened. So due to my experience with the virus, the first week, um, I mean, the first couple of days, it kind of did manifest as actually feeling like having like a head cold or like, OK, you're coming down with like a really bad cold, you know, um, very kind of like runny nose a bit, um, like dry cough. And almost kind of like within the first kind of few days straight away, started to lose my sense of like taste and smell and losing the appetite as well. Started to kind of sweat a lot, like in the first week, so much so that I kind of like sometimes just went to the spare bedroom, you know, because it's kind of fed up with just like literally soaking. Um, just drinking a lot of cold like drinks, water, ice and just fruit juices, ice and taking paracetamol got to the kind of stage where even like I was coughing, my eyes were like bloodshot red because, you know, really sore behind the eyes as well. And the first week was kind of like, oh, this is kind of like awful, but maybe it's kind of manageable. And I remember like going to the second week and that weekend and it's kind of being like, okay, this is a bit of a game changer now. I'm feeling a little bit kind of different in like not a good way. So I remember like, you know, I got to that kind of point and saying like, look, I can't even sleep in the same bedroom, you know, as my wife, because I was just kind of coughing all the time, just kind of like, you know, dry heaving because I wasn't eating a lot. So it's like wanting to kind of be sick, having the kind of sweats again. So, you know, that kind of time, that kind of when the first week ended, I went like more, stayed more in the spare bedroom. And I remember like speaking to my wife and just kind of like, some days, some days it was really like, you know, on that weekend, going into the second week, this couldn't really kind of physically move and feeling very faint and lightheaded and everything was just kind of like, I mean, everything kind of felt like, you know, a hard kind of laborious task, like simple things like going to the bathroom, like going to the toilet, brushing your teeth, going downstairs to get a drink. And yeah, it was awful. I can't really... Um, <sighs> you know, f- explain the kind of physical nooks and and, and, and in of the of the illness, but it was just kind of like one of these things I can't explain, kind of never experienced. It's like all these different kind of things at once that you kind of felt like, you know, if you felt like, oh, I've had like a sickness bug or having a cold and having like a head cold and having sweaty and just feeling like just general, generally disgusting, like yuck, I feel really ill. So all these kind of things into one and it's kind of like this magnified by 10 um, so I remember me and my wife kind of speaking, saying, look, you know, if this doesn't get better, do you think we should, you know, we should call NHS 24, you know, and then at the same time, my wife was doing amazing because she still had, you know, the virus and she wasn't great as well, but she had more energy than I did to kind of like see to our daughter, Izzy. And thank God, you know, the only symptoms our daughter had was like a runny nose. And that was it. And she's still her usual kind of self, you know. So, you know, we're very lucky that, you know, it didn't affect her in that really kind of a major way that it impacted on us, you know, as parents. So we're very kind of thankful and lucky about that. So I remember, you know, we did kind of speak about, you know, do we, you know, if it gets worse, we like a kind of like a plan or kind of strategy that, you know, to call NHS 24. So the weekend, I remember that weekend going to second week, I was just literally just in bed most of that weekend. I remember kind of like, you know, I was kind of a bit like, you know, some people who knew me, like close friends and like family, obviously kind of let them know, look, you know, definitely got this. My mum was very kind of upset, which we expected because like, especially like down in London where my family live, 
And in the news, you're seeing like a high proportion of black and minority people dying from the virus. So my mum's really kind of worried, you know, really worried for me and myself, my wife, Beth, and also Izzy. Um, that's my tummy again, <laughs> rumbling. Um, um, so yeah, like my family was really kind of concerned and upset and just kind of say, you know, saying take care of yourself, you know, drink plenty of fluids and stuff, which I was doing. But then equally, my body, the way it was just going, I, was, I think I was just kind of just sweating out all of everything that I was putting in in terms of fluid. Um, so yeah, that weekend wasn't great. It was just awful. Um, one of the worst kind of like, you know, health kind of like, you know, illnesses that I've ever had in my life. And I remember on the Monday, um, the second week struggled and then it was just like, you know, me and my wife kind of made the decision to, okay, tomorrow, like on the Tuesday, things don't really improve. We, you know, call, you know, we definitely, you know, call NHS 24. So that's what I did on a Tuesday um, morning. I think throughout the whole night and a Monday, I just wasn't going to get any kind of decent sleep. I was just kind of like wanting to feel sick. Um, this all the kind of horrible symptoms that are associated with this awful virus, you know, just couldn't cope anymore, really. So on the Tuesday morning, I called the NHS 24, explained um, my my symptoms and how long I've been feeling like this. And for me, I know, you know, I was very lucky because they said, okay, you know, we'll get like the on-call doctor to give you a call within like within the next four hours. And even that, and I think I called around eight, or no, probably around nine-ish in the morning. And then someone was saying to me, well, in the next four kind of hours, that even that was a kind of a relief to me. I just wanted to kind of get that kind of medical kind of like opinion, even though my wife's an advanced, advanced nurse practitioner, she still was like saying, no, it's probably good to kind of get like a doctor's opinion as well. So... You know, and then within that, I think within half an hour, I got a call from the the doctor and I feel really bad. I can't remember the doctor's name because I want to thank this doctor. So she kind of told me about the whole process. You know, there'll be like an online kind of video kind of assessment. So she managed to kind of talk me through that. And I did that with her. You know, we spoke for about 10 or 15 minutes and then she made that immediate decision to say, no, you look very dehydrated. Um, you need to um, go to the hospital and I'm going to call like an ambulance for you. So maybe kind of pack a bag and stuff. So I remember kind of like telling my wife, you know, look, I'm going to need to go to the hospital. And this is the thing as well. I was like, I didn't even have a shower that morning. I just flew, I just flew on literally like, you know, jogging, bo jogging bottoms and a T-shirt and a hoodie my wife just packed a bag. I managed to kind of get myself downstairs and, you know, just wait for the ambulance. And the ambulance kind of came quite quickly. And I remember, like, the paramedic came. Uh, he had a face mask on. And my wife said, hey, look, you know, I've got a positive diagnosis of, like, you know, coronavirus and stuff. So my wife kind of took a step back and the paramedic, my wife wasn't really happy with the paramedic as well because he kind of said, hey, here's a mask, take that and I'll meet you in the in the ambulance. So I was like, okay, put this mask on, muss up the energy, you know, and just kind of put myself in the um, ambulance. Um, so yeah, did that and I kind of like, you know, took my blood pressure and stuff and yeah, it's all kind of like a bit fuzzy and I remember kind of, and I got to like A&E, you know, there's like uh, some water work and wheelchair said, I'll go in there and there's like an assessment bit, you know, when you go into accident and emergency now. And I remember saying, hey, um, I think I'm going to be sick. And the next thing I'll probably just passed out. And I remember like me being lifted onto um, a stretcher or the, the bed and my breathing just kind of just got really out of, out of whack, out of control. I remember the nurses are like, you, you can't see their faces because everyone's wearing face masks and, you know, visors, which is obviously given the pandemic, what they have to do in hospital. I remember one nurse was saying, hey, look, uh, Mr. Headlam, control your breathing, you know. And I remember this kind of like, when that happened, I was wearing a T-shirt and it was literally just soaked through with the hoodie. I was just like literally profusely just sweating. So I remember that kind of gave me some air and gas, um, or was it oxygen? Yeah, to kind of just breathe on, to kind of like settle me down a bit and that was like it's just all kind of like surreal as well like I remember like remember kind of asking me I think they probably do this a lot to kind of like say like oh what's your date of birth and what's your address and stuff to kind of make sure that I'm still kind of like with it and I remember kind of like you know answering the questions and it's all kind of like it's almost like you go like in and out of consciousness a bit as well when you're like you know in that state when you're just kind of like not well and your body's just more or less just shutting down it's not a great kind of, you know, experience. It's a scary experience. 
So I remember like, you know, when I was in A&E for a bit, I uh, can't remember how long, it must be a couple of hours. Um, and I was just like, I was taking my vitals and all that kind of stuff. And then I went on to um, a COVID-19 assessment ward. Um, and they kind of said, oh, okay, we'll test you for COVID. But, you know, it was this kind of procedure, but obviously you're definitely showing all the kind of like symptoms for it. Um, and I was there for a bit and they were just kind of like taking a lot of blood. Um, I was on the drip as well. They thought I was like um, diabetic as well. Um, that must have been because I wasn't kind of taking, having taken anything really. I wasn't really eating much, you know, in that past kind of like, you know, week and a bit. So they, they thought like, oh, you're diabetic. And I was like, no. So it's just kind of giving me loads of medication, like antibiotics and stuff. And giving me like a blood thinner as well and injecting that into my stomach. So that was fun. And they were saying, hey, do you want anything to eat and stuff? When I was on the assessment board, I was like, no, I literally cannot eat. But all the while this is happening, I don't have any, I remember having my phone with me, but you don't have, I don't have any phone reception. So like, um, remember my wife was just kind of like, you know, this, this distraught, like my wife just kind of like, literally had to kind of like see me go in the ambulance. And the kind of thing that kind of makes me emotional as well, my wife said that like, my daughter Izzy kind of waved, like, bye daddy, <laughs> you know, when I was in the ambulance and stuff. And the fear that I kind of like think back now, I think I'm so lucky that, you know, would that have been the last time, you know, she would have seen her dad and she probably wouldn't have had that memory again when she got older. So thank God, you know, I managed to kind of pull through this. But I remember like, you know, my brother, he was trying to call me because he knew, my family knew that I, you know, in the first couple, the first week at home that I had the virus. So my brother was just trying to call me, check in, couldn't call me. See, no reception in the hospital. So he called my wife, Beth, and she told him, you know, she's just about to go and call my mum because I think after her kind of like seeing me going off in the hospital or the ambulance, um, she kind of like called her mum, my mother-in-law, understandable, quite upset. Um and then she's going to go and call my mum. So my brother ended up calling my mum for my wife. And I think my mum probably thought, you know, hospital, Ica, you know, she knew I had coronavirus. She probably thought the worst. And she actually probably thought I, like, I was dead. You know, she was, I think she was very kind of upset. So, like, yeah, just like, you know, when I had that kind of time and I was in hospital and had better reception, I was just kind of like, honestly, I felt like, you know, this is kind of like, this is scary now. This is really bad. I don't know what's going to happen. So I started to call like, you know, or just message people that knew that I was ill already say, look, I'm in the hospital. I'm here. It's more like, I don't know if it's like me kind of thinking like, you know, saying goodbye, but saying like, look, I'm here in hospital now because it's gotten worse. I'll let you know if anything kind of um, changes and that, or if I can. So yeah, I was in the assessment ward for a few hours as well. So, you know, it hooks me up to, like I say, like a, um, a drip as well. Saline. Was it saline? Oh, I can't remember. Like the drip they kind of hooked me up on as well. Yeah, just kind of give me fluids in the body. And then, yeah, they tested me for COVID, did a swab. And then I think one thing, and it was really cool, not really cool. It was really quick. I'm sorry um, that the results came back. I think it was like four hours or something. And they said, oh yeah, so now you have to go up to the COVID ward. And I think they got like four COVID wards in ARI. And, you know, it just shows you like, um, Aberdeen is like three degrees of like separation. I'll tell you why in a minute. So, you know, I got up to the COVID ward and, and you know, private room, you know, the I think that's Ward 107 um, at um, Aberdeen Royal Infirmary or 108. But I want to thank them. I actually sent them a hamper. I hope they got it. So I want to thank the nurses in that ward um, 107 um, at ARI. You know, they did an amazing job looking after me. So yeah, I got up there and I remember kind of seeing like a woman that very familiar to me you know, who's a nurse and uh, and because she was the mother of a young person I used to work with um, when this young person was probably like, must be like 14 or 15, he's probably like 20 years old or 21 now and this is his mother and she, you know, she was, and, and this is amazing to kind of like see her because it, it was a good working relationship with his family. And it's just like, oh, how are you doing, you know? So it's like a very kind of small world. That's the kind of three degrees of like separation and stuff, you know? And she spoke about, hey, you know, I had COVID as well. You know, her family had it as well and stuff like that. And it was a nice kind of like a little kind of like a moment to kind of catch up with a family or someone that I've kind of worked with, like a parent of a young person. That young person is doing really well now. So, you know, amongst all the kind of craziness that was happening to me, it was actually nice to kind of bump into a familiar face. So, yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, you know, cut a long story kind of short, I guess I was there from Tuesday to the Saturday. So I was there for like five days, 
you know, got a hold of like antibiotics to kind of take with me um, when I left the hospital. Um, one of the downsides of like, you know, having um, COVID-19 coronavirus was that it left me with pneumonia and subsequently pneumonia scarring on my lungs, um, on the left side of my lung. Um, when the, the doctor was like, you meet a lot of different doctors when they're doing like the ward rounds and the doctor kind of said to me, hey, you're really lucky, you know, thank God, you know, you got in at this stage because, you know, it does affect like black and minority people very differently, this this virus. I remember him saying like, you know, you kind of hit that stage, you're like obviously like the pneumonia and your breathing was just getting a little bit bad, but luckily we caught that in time as well. And the start, and, and the start obviously like um, as well, like a blood infection, sepsis, we caught that in time. Just like, okay, well, you know, it's kind of a lot to kind of take in and it's a lot to kind of process as well. And it kind of like really kind of like frustrating thing as well. Um, in the hospital, they're saying like, oh yeah, when you go home as well, you have to isolate from your family. It's like, uh, what? Like, yeah, because oh, yeah, you've been in the hospital. Like, but oh, my wife has COVID. Well, no, it doesn't matter. I still have to isolate. But even, you know, now it's kind of like frustrating. So like, you know, five days in the hospital and then two weeks having to go home to isolate myself in the spare bedroom. But um, yeah, that whole experience was just absolutely just scary. It's one of the kind of like really kind of life affirming things that, you know, you, you realize that how lucky you are to, you know, to still be around, how lucky I am to have a family, you know, have a daughter and have really good close friends and people that are, you know, there to support me. So yeah, that experience was just surreal. And I'm like me, I'm still signed up from work. I'm still kind of having problems with COVID fatigue. You know, sometimes I do get breathless still. I have to kind of conserve my energy as much as I can to spend time with my daughter when I can and you know, to kind of see to her as well. So yeah, it's it's not been easy. It's been difficult, um, but I definitely feel better, obviously, compared to when I was really ill with the virus. And I think, you know, one thing I can take away or kind of tell people is actually, yeah, wear your face masks, you know, be mindful, you know, of like the spaces around you and, and, and other people's spaces as well. Because this thing, you know, my fear is that, you know, this thing, you know, is, is not going to go away, this virus anytime soon, you know, they're not found a cure yet. And that's just kind of scary, man, just that, you know, this is the kind of like, you know, we started 2020 like any other year, kind of like with a lot of like hopes and dreams and this kind of optimistic what the year will bring. And now I'm talking to you like, and it's like, like it's Monday the 6th of July. And, you know, it's going to be August, you know, you know the next month. So this year has kind of really kind of flown by. And we're still in the midst of this kind of pandemic. And I really hope there won't be a second wave. There's a possibility there will be a second wave. But yeah, it's, you know, it's just kind of been you know, a surreal kind of moment, you know, for like the beginning or just like, you know, the start of the year, you know, to kind of like, you know, get the virus and actually, you know, how it impacted on like, you know, not just myself, but my family as well and like friends and stuff. And just like for me, just like your physical health, you know, I, I don't know how this kind of COVID or pneumonia scar is going to impact on my health in the long term, but it's, you know, now I have to kind of take, you know, that kind of step to actually, you know, eat right, you know, like they say, like, you know, eat right, kind of just take care of myself, health-wise better, like they say, well, you know, health is wealth. So that's the main thing, you know, um, that I've kind of taken from that. And also to kind of just be like, you know what, man, thank fuck I am still here. Thank God I, you know, um, I made it through that really awful kind of virus. And, you know, now it's kind of been left with, obviously, the bits that, you know, that kind of like when the virus leaves you with like obviously the pneumonia or like the breathlessness still or the kind of like fatigue or not being able to kind of do much some some days. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just thankful. So that's my COVID nineteen story in a, in a short in the kind of version because lots of little bits and pieces to that story when I was in the hospital and like, you know, and the things that I kind of like experience and you know, when I was there and I guess as well, like, you know, when you're in a room by yourself in a hospital bed and you're sick with this virus, you have a lot of time to kind of think about yourself and this life in general. So yeah, if that kind of like, you know, hopefully that kind of made sense, if it made sense, but you know, try to articulate that in the best way possible that, um, yeah, I made it through, you know, the worst of like, you know, the coronavirus and that's my little 
COVID-19 story. So, yeah. And, you know, as well, like, um, I want to thank a lot of friends and family. They know who you are. I was like too many to kind of mention who, you know, who've been messaging me and been looking out for me and stuff and just seeing how I've been getting on. I really just appreciate that, man. That's, that's a lot of love. So, yeah, thank you guys, you know, for kind of like keeping in touch with me and looking out for me and also offering to support my wife and my daughter when I was in hospital. That's kind of like friendship and that's love that you can't really kind of replicate, you know, and it doesn't come, you know, you know, you don't kind of get that that often in life where people are actually saying, hey, how can I help you and your family? You know, so I really appreciate you guys. Thank you very much for that. And so, yeah, you know, um, when I got back home, you know, that kind of two week period of isolation, which was frustrating and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, kind of had to kind of like manage that as well. And so awful when you can't, I just wanted to hug my wife and my daughter and I just couldn't do that for two weeks, which was frustrating. So, yeah, even in that kind of period as well, it's kind of like taking a break from social media as well, man. I just wasn't like really on it. It wasn't kind of like really in the mind to kind of set and, you know, I remember when all this kind of bits was kind of going on, I remember kind of seeing stuff from Sean Sean King on Instagram about Ahmad Aubrey, who was killed, who was shot by a father and son whilst out jogging. I can't remember the state in America. And I think this is kind of someone who said, oh, it happened in February and how like the father and son just, just got arrested in like March or April time. And I remember obviously Brianna Taylor kind of saw that, you know, bits and pieces of that before as well. And it's kind of like that kind of thing, like, you know, that kind of conscious mind, the unconscious mind, you're taking so much information and you recognize things. Yeah, I remember, you know, I remember that. And then all of a sudden there was something as clear as day, the murder of George Floyd on camera. That was, you know, that was like difficult for many reasons, I'm sure going to get into this in you know, a long tangent and a ramble, but before, like, when, you know, there's been deaths of black or brown people in police custody, it's always been, like, grainy body cam um, images or from the dash cam or the police car, um, grainy kind of, you know, images. So everyone, I guess, kind of had kind of question marked it as well. It's all that kind of general, general rule of thumb in society be like oh well what did this person do but in the case of George Floyd we saw this police officer kneel on his neck with his hands in his pockets for you know leaning on George's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds and to be honest you know and I've it's just, it's just more or less recently now that I've watched that video in full I couldn't bring myself to kind of watch that video in full. I remember speaking to my brother about this as well. Um, it was difficult because you see how unvalued black life has, you know, is, you know, it's not like just become, this is, this is the thing that this has been an ongoing situation, not just in America, but also in the UK as well. Um, and then, you know, en masse, people around the world were saying, we're not having it. You know, we're protesting. This isn't right. And the kind of thing as well, like, you know, when this kind of happens, people en masse doing something positive, there's, there's a kind of like, you know, feeble responses from like the state. And I think the first thing they did, they said, okay, well, we're going to like fire all of the four police officers involved. You know, are you guys happy now? People say, no, we're not happy. Okay, we're gonna arrest one of the officers and charge him with second degree murder, which I think in that state is kind of would, would kind of mean like accidental kind of like murder kind of thing. And people say no, we're not happy. So I think they arrested the three other officers and everyone's kind of being charged now. And you know, it takes like people on mass kind of protest to say, hey, look, this black man's life matters. He was murdered. It was filmed. And, you know, yet, you know, within the state, there's these false platitudes. So when that was all kicking off, you know, I kind of went back on social media and via my platform, We Are Here Scotland, which I guess the aim of that platform when people follow We Are Here is to champion black and minority creators and artists in Scotland. 
Yeah. So I got to that point about this kind of like speaking out on, you know, these issues, you know, and, I, and everyone, anyone that follows me on the Create Me podcast, you've been doing so for a long time. You'll always see something in my feed or within my stories and me posting about issues that affect people that look like me. You know, I've always spoken about these kind of issues because they're important to me as a black man, you know. So on We Are Here platform, I started to kind of like, as people say, speak, you know, speak your truth. I was frustrated. I was pissed off. I was upset because, you know, these situations about deaths in police custody, deaths in police custody, racism, social injustice that impact on black people and other minority groups, this is not a new story. This is generations old. This is centuries old. This has been happening for a long time. And I guess for like me speaking out on these issues, when you, you know, your emotions are heightened, when you kind of like are confronted with racism, the killing of black people by the state, you know, social injustice. So I guess for me, I spoke out on lots of different kind of things and I kind of thought like, okay, I had that kind of scattergun approach. I wanted people to know like, you know, people that seem to be kind of waking up to this kind of like, almost like a revelation that, oh my God, yeah, black lives are being, you know, they're not valued as much as any other life. There is a white supremacist, you know, structural systems in place and it kind of like transcends education, you know, you know, um, um, economy, you know, economic situations as well. And, you know, legislation and so much and policy and so much more. So people kind of saying, hey, wow, this is like a revelation. Then subsequent to that, I had loads of people just kind of flooding my DMs, almost kind of almost kind of like wanting counseling from the Black Oracle of Aberdeen, because they might have seen me speak about these issues in the past, thinking like, okay, I'm having this issue with a family member or like, you know, or like a partner or someone that I work with. And part of it, at the beginning, I was just like, oh yeah, okay, you know, having some conversation. Then a part of me is thinking, actually, no, let me step away from this. Let me just kind of speak on this, you know, and let people know that, hey, I am not the person you should go to for advice. You know, go to Google, research that shit, speak amongst in more non-black people about what you can do to help. Because, you know, black people, we've been doing this for a long time. This is actually the first actual time that I, I feel like I don't feel like I've just come out of a mental institution when I've spoken, when I've spoken to people about race and racism. Because admittedly, before when I've ever spoken about this um, in Aberdeen to anyone, you know, to some, no, not to anyone, to some white people, they kind of look at me like, what is this guy talking about? You know, they're probably thinking I'm talking like a foreign language or they kind of felt really awkward and didn't want to engage with it. And that's cool, you know, people, you know, you need to kind of figure out where that awkwardness comes from, why you don't want to engage in those conversations. I'm not attacking you as a white person. I'm attacking the white structures run by rich white people <laughs> that want to kind of like hold on to this kind of like, this kind of way that things are working. And if anything, kind of like, you know, if anything, we can see like, look, this system or the systems that we have in place, it's not working. It's not fair. I'm not trying to say like, you know, like, oh, all black lives, you know, you know, we have it really bad. Like, I get that other people, other races have, you know, difficulties in their life. But we got to the point like generation on after generation en masse we are having black people having to protest and fight for their lives, die for their lives. That should kind of make non-black people kind of take a step back and think and say, hey, this has been happening for a long time. We have had the civil rights movement. We've had the Black Panthers. We've had like the anti, you know, we had the apartheid situation in South Africa as well. This is kind of like, you know, it's it's transcended, you know, transcends like she like you no know, locations in the world, you know. This has been, you know, people have been protesting about, you know, deaths in police custody in the UK for many a year. There's been loads of people, black people, who have died in police custody. 
and then people just actually just kind of discovering this. So for us, like the black people I know and families that I spoke to, we like, yeah, we know this has been happening. It's almost like saying to somebody like, hey, like, you know, we're always, we, we're always been moving forward. And people are just actually catching up now to us is actually saying, oh yeah, this is what's really going down. So it's been very interesting to see like, you know, there was the responses from non-black people that I know or people just by association on social media. I've had really good friends, people, you know, that I'll say good friends, non-black people who just been messaging me saying, hey, I can't explain. I know I don't know how you're feeling. No, I, I can't ever say that I do know your feeling, but let you know, just want to just want you to know that, hey, I'm here. Everyone to talk, you know, or I need to be doing better. I'm putting my hands up and saying I need to be doing better. And I appreciate that. But also there's been people who I'd thought I'd say I'd call them friends that have not even spoken to me about this. Who have not even kind of like um it's almost like, you know, it's kind of pretended like this isn't being like a worldwide kind of, you know, thing happening on the news. Who've not even spoken to me. And I've been disappointed. I'm not going to kind of like call out anyone on here. It's not fair to. But I've been disappointed in some people that I would say like even close friends. That they've not even spoken out on this or even kind of just touched base with me. And I think as well, there's been this thing about some people as well just messaging me saying, hey, I just don't know what to say. I just don't know what to do. And I've always kind of just kind of highlighted this. I've been going on Instagram Live sometimes on the We Are Here platform and I'm saying like, hey, let's put this into like an all analogy. You know, if someone saw, okay, um, a policeman, you know, strangling a dog or kicking a dog or killing a dog, people would have the agency to know what to do for some reason. But So why is it when it's like a black life being killed on film or you're hearing about all these kind of like injustices for black and brown people, that people say, oh, I don't know what to do. And there seems to be this initial fear, with, I think, with some white people that um, they don't know what to say or do, you know, or like the whole thing of like cancel culture. Oh, people are going to get onto me. They're going to start like calling me out and having, having a go at me. But this is, how do you think like, you know, the life of a black person is? We speak out on our truth and we've been doing it for many a year. And people either before have been ignoring us or wanting to shut us down. So it's about kind of like, yes, you know, before you get comfortable, we have to get uncomfortable. This is the reality of the lived black experience. We know that when we speak our truth, some people will be receptive to it. But for years, the majority have been like, oh, no, there's not a problem here. And it's interesting. I've seen so much kind of really like strange things from like, you know, the people on the right, you know, the right kind of right wing um, kind of people, um, you know, that kind of like sentiment of being like, oh, well, you know, look at Jay-Z, Beyonce, Oprah. Look how rich they are. Racism doesn't exist, blah, blah, blah. And I'm always kind of like, oh, just miss me with that bullshit. And this literally cannot take, you know, this shit anymore. Or like people... Um, you know, trying to kind of like counter argue with, you know, black people that, oh, you know, racism doesn't exist because, or like, you know, all lives kind of matter. <laughs> that crowd, all lives matter crowd. And the fact is, you know, when a black person's just saying, hey, my life matters, and if that pisses you off, if a black person is saying, look, um, can we just speak about my life? Because I feel like it matters. And then if that pisses you off, you have, you know, you have my complete blessing to this fuck off. <laughs> like, and do not follow me. Do not interact with me on any kind of social media platform. Because the fact is that black people have to actually, you know, like I said before, generation after generation has to speak about their life mattering. And that's bothering people. That a black person, you know, we, you know, common sense view is that we know that all lives matter. But why after generation after generation en masse, black people are saying, my, ha, are having to say, our lives matter. I think people need to kind of reflect on that as well. And saying, okay, there must be something to this. This has been happening for far too long. We're seeing this, you know, people having to fight to even, you know, even vote. 
this is like back in like the 50s or 60s period of the civil rights movement, having to, having to fight to get the vote. I'm not talking about hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So yeah, it's very interesting that all lives matter crowd. And if anyone has that sentiment, I do say this now, like, yeah, just literally please unfollow me. Do not even engage with me. I don't have time for that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's been... It's been interesting. Even like, you know, like what on, on Facebook as well, seeing like, you know, black people on mass, just loads of people, black, brown, everyone. I was really proud to see that happen in Aberdeen, the Black Lives Matter, um, you know, protest march. So big up to those people who were there. I saw Gid Gams, who was a previous guest on the podcast, um, saw him do a little speech there and that was really cool. So shout out to Gid Gams. Shout out to the people that organised that march as well. You know, done a really good job. But then on the social media, you had people saying, oh, well, you know, that's them. They fucked over the NHS now. This was kind of like, you know, undertoned things of people being pissed off but using something else to say like they're pissed off. I saw some people like, you know, on these kind of chat forums on like Facebook are saying, um, oh, yeah, you know, I've been doing this and I've been doing that. Oh, look, it has ruined it for everyone now. You know, but no one's kind of mentioning down in like, you know, in England, en masse, people going to beaches. Was it like in Cornwall, I think? Pardon me. People going en masse down to the beach and having to have be dice, you know, dispersed by the police. You know, so let's have a drink. Um, a lot of people, like my family who live in London, have been saying like, you know, once kind of things kind of like calmed down a bit or like there was some restrictions lifted, People like in London are just kind of going about like it's just like a normal like summer. So this is the things as well, like, you know, people saying, oh, well, it's therefore there's going to be another spike. And touch wood, I don't think there's been any spikes through like, you know, the protesting. I like to think there hasn't been, but if anyone's got information says, oh, you know, says, oh, no, that has happened, you know, let me know, message me. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting to see people kind of like... Um, complain about um you know the protesting i saw some people saying like hey um oh yeah they they put up signs signs were put up the previous week and that was good enough i'm sure some of you know that some of these signs were getting ripped down by people as well just can't cope with seeing a lives seeing a sign saying all oh, black lives matter that's just crazy as well there's these things as well i kind of feel like you know um a lot of like non-black people there's a lot of kind of conversations I think you need to have with your family members and friends. And you know what those conversations are. Because I'm sure you've been at family gatherings or, you know, or social events with friends or work colleagues. And someone wants to say some racist joke and you feel awkward about it, but you never trying to challenge it. Now's the time for you to start challenging because we've been doing this for a long time. And we've been kind of like gaslit and completely othered. When we do this, we've been made to look like, you know, we're the difficult ones. So now's the time for you guys to kind of like take that weight. It's difficult. It's not going to be easy. But things don't change if everyone, you know, doesn't, you know, if, if everyone doesn't get involved with the change. We've been doing it generation after generation. So now is a time for people en masse who are not black that you step up to the table now. So yeah, it was crazy, man. That you know when the whole kind of like even like the online kind of community. I think a platform like we are here. I'm so thankful for that that platform because I'm always kind of you know my kind of view with the with we are here Scotland is like you know representation is important. So I've been able to connect with like, you know, black art, black and minority artists and creators. And we've been having like, you know, just like private conversations about our frustrations. And there's a lot of trauma that we kind of carry. And it's been like, you know, it's multi-generational. I don't think our like parents or, you know, the ones that look after us who intentionally want to pass this on to us. But it's something because it's unresolved, it's unresolved trauma. There's never been a period where we kind of, you know, we've been like, okay, yeah, things are just and fair. 
there's never been that period, you know, in 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 society for black and brown people. It's always like a constant struggle. So yeah. I've been going on Instagram Live, like I mentioned before. That's been really cool to kind of connect with a good kind of group of people, like small little gatherings that we can just speak and, you know, probably me just kind of more or less speaking at them about my thoughts or frustrations. But I want to shout them out too, the people that kind of get involved with the, you know, We Are Here Scotland Instagram Live chats, man. I really appreciate you guys because that is like, you know, something that, you know, I really do enjoy doing, getting used to getting more confident with doing that as well. And that's been really kind of cool to actually just connect to people, just, you know, not just in Aberdeen, but around Scotland, like-minded people, people that want to make a change, people that want to make a difference, people that actually recognise this shit can't carry on the way it is. I also had a lot of kind of like, companies and organizations kind of like message me as well and that's been cool there's been some really productive conversations i've been putting up a lot of kind of stuff on the feed of we are here scotland it's about kind of like valuing the time of black people black and minority artists and creators there's this kind of thing now like i was kind of saying like you know a lot of companies and organizations know that the black pound the black dollar the black euro has such a huge weight to it you know Black, you know, black, um, the black economy is really good because we buy into stuff like, you know, um, all the kind of mainstream kind of things like, you know, um, like sportswear, Nike, Adidas, designer clothes as well. And you saw a lot of companies online kind of like backtracking about the fucked up shit they did to black, you know, um, creatives, you know, or black artists. It's been interesting to see a lot of kind of like those kind of really big um, organizations starting to backtrack or say like, hey, here's a black square. We are, you know, we support you guys and stuff, you know. And then the sad thing as well, like, you know, this whole Black Lives Matter thing as well is going to be monetized by people that don't give a fuck about the whole kind of cause of Black Lives Matter. This is the reality. I remember kind of like looking on Amazon just out of interest and just typed in Black Lives Matter and loads of merchandise of Black Lives Matter kind of like t-shirts and stuff. And I kind of thought like not everyone these, you know, these kind of like t-shirts or hoodies would be from, you know, a black independent business. I guaranteed a few of them would be quite a few, but not all of them because there was literally hundreds of them. You know, there's pages upon pages of these Black Lives Matter merchandise. <sighs> yeah. I'm sighing a lot because it's kind of like, I feel like, you know, um, everything that I want to speak about, I'm probably not going to get out in just kind of like this episode here. But yeah, it, it's been like really cool to some organisations kind of like connect with or there's people who work within like, you know, the creative industries in Scotland and saying, hey, how can I help? And I want to shout out those people who are actively stepping up to this kind of this help. Say, hey, you know, there's been a nice Patreon it's got in touch with me. Someone who I call a friend messaged me and is like, hey, you know, I want to do something, you know, meaningful. I want to create a website for you and I want to pay for the subscription for the first year. And they said, hey, look, I don't want to put my name to this. This is about you and this platform. We are here, Scotland. And I appreciate that person. And if this person's listening, I'll say, I want to thank you very much. And I thank them already. But that, you know, that's a meaningful kind of like step forward or an action that someone says, hey, I can support you. But it's been strange, man. The past few weeks have been really strange. I kind of feel like now, after two and a half years of even doing like Creative Me podcasts, it seems like a bit of like a validation now. Like, you know, people just go mass this following. And I appreciate that. You know, people are kind of curious, hey, what's going on? This kind of podcast, oh, I didn't realize, you know, I've got a lot of messages. People say, oh, I didn't recognize what you do. It's, you know, I think it's really cool. And I appreciate that. But maybe it's my own kind of personal thing that I actually feel like, hey, there's some like some people actually kind of feel like there's a value to me as a black creative now. Like, you know, since the whole thing has happened. It's been a ripple effect, man. The, you know, what's been happening like Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, and so many others. Even in the black trans community, there have been people in America who've been found dead. Mysterious circumstances. Like, what the fuck is going on in this world? 
Yeah. I don't think I'm, you know, I'm never going to be done speaking about this issue. If you know me and you're a good friend of mine, you know I'm never going to be done speaking about this. I'm going to do the best in my little corner of the world to kind of challenge racism, how it impacts on me, how it's going to impact on my daughter, how it impacts on my wife. I've shared a lot of my thoughts on like, you know, social media about this. I guess, yeah, a lot of my thoughts and frustrations. I am hoping for a better world. I admittedly know it won't happen in my lifetime. I want it to happen in my daughter's lifetime. Or she's lucky enough, you know, to be, you know, to get married, to be a mother, have children for herself, I have grandchildren. I want to see it. I want to see, you know, I won't see that happen, you know, forever down the line from her life and her timeline. But I'd like to think that, you know, we can take steps to make that happen for like the next, the, the younger generations, because this cannot keep going on. Like I'd, I'd really like to use this platform to, you know, this episode, I would love to have been interviewing someone just now, but I knew that, you know, there's a lot of things that I want to speak about that are very important to me as a black man living in, you know, Northeast of Scotland that I hope people who are listening to this take something away from this, you know, that, you know, we're going through, there's like, we're going through a major kind of like change in the world. There's a major turning point, you know. We have people like Boris Johnson in power in the UK, you know. I want to say, yeah, shout out to Nicola Sturgeon. I think she's taking the right kind of steps in terms of like, you know, easing the restrictions of the pandemic and not following suit because Westminster saying, oh yeah, this is what we should be doing. I think down in the UK, I think that's going to be a bit of a shit show, if I'm honest. So yeah, guys, man, a lot, a lot to kind of like, you know, reflect on and speak about. But yeah, I know I, know I might kind of cut off short just there. Um, I don't want to say like, I hope you enjoyed this like fun chat. <laughs> Probably wasn't really kind of a fun chat, more like a kind of a deep inner thoughts of Ica's ramblings. Um, yeah, the planes are flying over now. So yeah, um, I want to probably kind of wrap up soon. But one thing I wanted to kind of mention as well, a few things before I finish up. We obviously, you know, rightly so, the focus, you know, for George Floyd's um, death or murder, you know, that shouldn't kind of wane, that shouldn't kind of fade out. But if you guys get a pen and paper just now, I'm going to mention some names of like that relates to deaths in police custody in the UK. So I'm just going to mention the names. I'm not going to give you any kind of details, but I want you guys to look into these stories. Look into the story of Christopher Alder. Look into the stale story of Sherry Gross. Look into the story of David, David Oluwale, Julian Cole, Shiko Bayo, Mark Duggan, Mikey Powell, Leon Briggs, Joyce Gardner, and Sean Rigg. And there's many more stories like that of deaths in police custody in the United Kingdom. Those are just a few that I'd like you to go and look into. Just to kind of highlight to you, like, you know, the system is flawed on many different levels. You know, we could go into the whole thing about, you know, education and bits as well of like, you know, real kind of like history, you know, colonial history as well. That's not really being taught in schools, which I've experienced growing up. I've seen the people doing lots of really important campaigns about that. And I'm going to big them up as well. The people that have kind of like, you know, who are wanting to kind of, you know, have education reform in terms of like black history. Thank you to everyone who is doing their bit. Everyone, you know, black or non-black who is actually stepping up, who are actually taking steps, who are not clout, who are not clout chasing, who are not centering themselves on the issue that, you know, that really, you know, that is important to me. There's some people, you know, to go away quietly and do their thing. And I, you know, and I, and, I, and I support that. And then there's some people who unfortunately do center themselves, who I do feel like, or who do kind of clout chase to be like, hey, I'm woke as fuck, look at me. Like, you know, that's what you want to do, do that. You know, if that's not what you want to do, or, you know, some for some people, that's how it comes across to me, what I'm seeing online, you know, 
And there's some people kind of articulate in a really kind of good way. And I really appreciate that. So there's a quality balance for some white people, how you do it. I don't know how you figured it out. You know, you guys need to speak to each other and figure out how you actually, you know, plan that out or how that kind of comes across. Some ways, some in one hand, it comes across really kind of articulate and really kind of thought out and well-meaning, well-intentioned. And on the other hand, there's some people who are just kind of thinking like, I've never seen you spoke about this before. What the fuck? You know? Um, so yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, guys, you know, how do you know how do I end on a positive note? Um, yeah. Like, um, I want to thank you for listening. If you're still stuck with this episode, um, thanks again to, you know, the nurses and doctors at um Abney Royal Infirmary, Ward 107. Appreciate all your kindness, help and support and getting me back home to my family. Shout out to like, you know, my friends and family as well. Is that plane flying over again? Great. Um, thank you for this, you know, being there for me and my family supporting us. And to everyone else, you know, who's kind of like got involved with the podcast recently and via We Are Here, I really appreciate you coming by. Um, do recognize that, you know, the spaces that I create online are safe spaces. It's not about kind of back and forth, who's right and who's wrong or wokeness competition. It's not about that. It's about how we can actually, you know, connect to each other and support each other. I'm looking forward to the developments of We Are Here Scotland. Hopefully the website will be up in a couple of weeks' time. I'm looking forward to kind of a new way of maybe interviewing, because, you know, the anatomy rooms was closed for a period and they opened back up again last week, so that's really cool. So I'm guessing, you know, I'll be kind of like getting back in touch with people I prearranged to have chats with, in you know, before the whole pandemic kind of kicked in. So hopefully, you know, can have some conversations I have recorded, you know, via kind of like a, a Zoom link um, for my dining room table or have that back to, you know, the space of the Nat Room studio space. That would be really cool to kind of get back to recording conversations in the studio because I miss it and I miss this. And I actually, yeah, I've missed you guys. So, yeah, thank you for listening. Um, you know, if you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a Ko-Fi um, all the links are in the um, will be in the episode description as well. And also shout out to Jake Lawson from Jake Lawson Audio, who has been editing my episodes um, since like I think it was like September or August last year. I can't remember. Sorry, Jake. But yeah, Jake, you know, works really hard and he's very much a part of like, you know, Create Me Podcast. So shout outs to Jake Lawson. Um, I interviewed Jake and his mate Andrew. Um from the band The Girls um, back in January this year so go and if you haven't listened to that episode go check out that episode really good chat with them so yeah guys um, I'll be back sometime soon I know this episode was way overdue so I really do apologise so you know take care for now hopefully I'll be back again um, maybe in August early August hopefully who knows but yeah I'll definitely kind of keep up with you know, the conversations this year. And also big thanks. I'm always kind of like saying, yeah, I'm just going, I'm just going. This is the final one now. <laughs> All right, and a big thanks to everyone um, who tuned in during the whole kind of pandemic um, bit, um, period um, to the podcast because we now we're over 20,000 lessons um, um, within two and a half years. And, you know, for, for independent podcasts, I've been told that's a really good achievement. So thank you guys. And yes, thank you everyone who voted for me um, for the British Podcast um, Awards, Listener's Choice Award. Um, kind of found out a bit late about um, that. It was in my spam email box that um, I think the voting started from the 26th of May. So I was saying to everyone, you know, probably a bit late to kind of like make a big dent or anything, but it'd be cool to kind of like get people in the rest of the UK to kind of recognise that there's lots happening in the northeast of Scotland. So yeah, thank you everyone who put up with my kind of like, you know, e um, my DM dropping, DM bombing um, in your inboxes um, of lots of kind of different things recently. And also like the British Podcast, like Listener's Choice Awards links I've been sending everyone. So yeah, thank you everyone and big yourselves up for getting behind that and supporting, you know, it's not just me, but it's also supporting Northeast artists and creatives. So yeah, guys, that is definitely it. You know, thank you for listening to me ramble on about loads of different issues i love you all take care and i'll catch up soon all right see you later